Can we step the game up on the intro music? Oh, he did step it up. Rocket man. Just patience, Padawan. <laughs> patience, young grasshopper. Hello, fellers. How we doing? Howdy. You know what? Uh, you know you're having fun when you're doing this? How? Because um, it's been a minute since we recorded, and uh, I've actually missed it. I have too, actually. I was just thinking about the fact that it's been a full week, almost. Not even a full week. It's been six days. We started last October in 2022, (laughs) and I don't know, have we taken a week break, except for when you went on your fishing excursion? Uh, Europe got in the way. Um, Yeah, that'd be the only legit break. Yeah. So you, you guys are saying you missed it? Well, I, and I think our fans are reaching out, or maybe not reaching out, and they're pissed. <laughs> I was surprised you guys made it in without getting, you know, mugged for not putting something up. Well, my question is, if you guys missed it so much, where's my Hallmark card? You know, like, uh, I miss I, you. I, I you sent it to Kim. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> uh, we're back. Rolling in with a little bit of uh, Sir Elton John today. Um... I love the song. I, everybody loves the song. Realistically, find me, find me anybody in the world that doesn't like this song, and I'll call bullshit. Or they're AI. It's a robot. Find me somebody that doesn't like Elton John, and they have a, an agenda. If for whatever reason we can go down that road, which we're not going to, because it's a soccer podcast. If you don't like Elton John, there's something wrong with your ears. Well, playing this one today because um, you know the, uh, all of us have kids, obviously, right? Um, but there's points in raising your children where certain things occur that are like, uh, uh, you know, the, the next ratchet, the next level. Y- you get rid of sippy cups and you're like, oh, yeah, or diapers, right? Oh, no more diapers, no more sippy cups. And then there comes a point, like in my household, in which you get to watch cool movies with your kids. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No more Pixar only, no more PG World. And the other night, back Do you guys watch I, Basic Instinct? Uh, not yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to get Kim to watch that one with me. Uh, you know the movie? You know the movie, this one? Rocket Man? Nope. Nope. Where they're all on the bus? Tour bus? Singing? Oh, Almost Famous. Almost Famous. Oh, Pick. I like her. <laughs> and I like, the, I like the aviator glasses on the front of the deal. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, Becky and I watched it the other night. Uh, in the last two, well, three weeks, two, we've kind of check two off the list of must-watch t- movies, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. and Almost Famous. Mm-hmm. I watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, where I'm Art Thou? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, uh, <laughs> uh, Guru of Pronunciation. You were just in a tight spot. <laughs> I, I wasn't in a tight spot. I watch that every time it's on. He's our, uh, he's like our Gump. in-house editor taking notes of all the mispronounced words. If you, actually, if you want a, uh, a copy of the list of mispronounced world words, just email us at uh, soccerdadpod at gaslightstl.com, <laughs> yeah. and Zach will send them out to you. We're back for another episode of the Soccer Dad Pod. Um, really, really appreciate all the support, listens, and follows. Um, <clears throat> you guys, uh, you, we've, we've been off a week, and the numbers just keep moving, so that just tells us you know, a lot of you are listening and you're going back and you're catching the older interviews and um, it just it says a lot about the interest in soccer in general and especially our guests. So uh, thank you. I just want to throw that out there first. Secondly, 
Uh, I obviously want to thank our two primary supporters. We have Axis PT, AxisPT.com, uh, helping all of our little ones and big ones and middle ones uh, recover from those sprains and strains and et al. Uh, in a new world here in Missouri in particular, uh, doctor's referrals are optional. You don't need them. You know, you got, you got the bang up, uh, head over there, check them out. They'll help you out. And then our boys, Chris and Bill at the pinnacle loans.com. That's You're right. my boy blue. You're my boy blues blues. The undefeated freshman from back in the CBC days. Yeah. Perfect season. He actually corrected me on that. When we met a little while back. Yeah, we keep saying undefeated. Yeah. He wants to go perfect. Yeah, he wants to change no, the no draws. No draws. Yeah, but, I mean, it's still freshman soccer, Chris. <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> been waiting he's to gonna say yell, that he's gonna yell for a me. really long time. But, hey, you can only play who you're scheduled against, and if you win every game and you don't draw or you don't lose, it's That's perfect. Perfect season. So, hey. Um, you didn't do it. I didn't play freshman soccer. You're right. See? <laughs> uh, quick recap. Also, last episode we had out um, in the world, we had uh, Kevin and Aaron, two of the fellers that are uh, key cogs in the wheel over at the Luligan Enterprise, uh, gave us a cool little conversation about Luligan operations, motive, MO, etc. Super cool. I mean, it's just, you know, there are things that we as soccer fans, especially when you go to City Park and you see what the supporters section does and the TIFOs and, you know, everybody knows about Schlafly and what they do there. But really understanding kind of the path and why and what they do and, you know, raising money for charity, et cetera. It was cool. It was a fun. Yeah, they raise almost $35,000 a season for the variety of charities that they support. Thirty-five grand. Yep. Really? <clears throat> Might be more than that. But that's what I saw on their their Twitter page. Yeah. Wow. Um, which is significant. We purchase. also need to talk about because we we haven't done it. Um, we on Saturday before the game we went to. Oh, their I tailgate. was gonna I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, I mean, go ahead. I want you to do it because you'll you'll talk more eloquently about. Uh, it. How about that vocabulary? That's a, that's a big word. Did you see how he slowed down on that? Yeah. Eloquently. <laughs> <laughs> he put. You know what he did? He put his finger on his chin so he could count the syllables. I got it right. No, it was a, Jared and I walked over um, about an hour and a half before game time, and they were finishing up their tall boy roulette, which we talked about. I got a bone to pick with them, which is. Kind of funny because Jared donated a, 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 a tall boy and didn't get to play. But it's a cool atmosphere. Did because he pout? A little, no. a little no. bit. It's pay no, to play. Was he like a soccer mom? No, I was no, actually no, like, no, no, why no. did he not get minutes? I, I think he actually came out ahead by donating whatever tall boy he did and not have to drink one. Yeah, true. Did total. we get some of Kevin's milk too? I think we, we had did. some Kevin's milk, uh, Kevin's chocolate milk, which is a nice little blend of liquors and chocolate milk and really delicious. But it music... It's a lot of people. They've got cigars to sell. They've got food to sell, uh, like cupcakes and things like that. Their so trailer's pretty slick. It's nice. They get a little arcade next to it. The kids can play, and it's right next to Schlafly, so you can go in and get a, a meal, or you can go in and get beer. Um, but I highly, highly, highly recommend before this playoff game that's scheduled for Sunday night at 9 p.m. Central Time, stop by. I, I'm, I'm mad about it. I'm just mad about it. Well, and, uh, let's move on because I <sighs> think you have a bone to pick and we don't want to take the thunder away from the Luligans. No, well, I'm not. Pin, it has nothing to do with the Luligans. I'm just 
Yeah. Now, Zach just, you know. He I get like, angry he, about things. He's got a deep pocket of toothpicks that he just <laughs> likes to poke around to random subject matter. It was related. Mm, kind of. Very. <laughs> I mean, we, we could we could have a, a roulette wheel here of global topics, and you would have a bone to pick. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can find something for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, absolutely. let's get into the pinnacle points of the day here. Uh, perfect timing. In fact, you know what, Zach? You're first. Let's, oh, okay. let, let's hear what uh, bone to pick you got today. Well, ironically, I had a bone to deal with today because, as some of you know, a deer tried to jump out of my yard into my neighbor's yard, and I have a four-foot aluminum fence. Four-foot fence. Black fence with like, Jared squares. Jared could still jump that thing. Exactly. No, I could do a backflip over that right now. No spikes. He could do a gainer. No, we have video nothing. of it. But the, the wickets are eight inches apart, and this deer jumped. Wickets? And, what, you mean the ballast? I don't know. What do you call them? Yeah. Ballast? Not wickets. Okay. Sure. I don't Keep think it's going. wickets. <laughs> Wickety wicket. I'm not a fence guy. <laughs> I so, think it's the ballasters. I think that sounds more like something in your house, but whatever. Okay. The posts. Anyway, not posts. Hey, if you're, if you're a fence and deck guy and you want to yeah, sponsor whatever. our show, contact us and make sure we get it right next time. But on the top, they're squared off, like little eight-inch squares. The deer's back leg went into one of those squares, and the momentum it took over the fence caught it and broke it in half. Mm. And it happened overnight. I saw the, the picture. I mean, it was very Joe Namath-esque. The deer, Did you do back straps last night? No. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... I had to take it down today, and so I, a good friend, Jeff Overmark, came over, and we had to cut the deer down. I do think the funnier part of the story is whenever you put out the public request for help, or you, you <laughs> called first, uh, let's start with the highest quote. Oh, yeah. The quote for critter removal was $850 to take bucks. a deer away. <clears throat> and I thought, Man, that seems a little high for what... This is. It's, um, a, it's a zip code pricing. Well, they said, well, it's a full-size deer. And I said, yeah. And they go, oh, well, yeah, full-size deer, that's 850 I think people um, <laughs> that live in your neighborhood who definitely have a deer issue. We do have a deer issue. Who call a place for a critter removal and get a quote, you're high. Deal with it. Don't call anybody. Pick it up. Cut it up, throw it in your neighbor's yard, throw mm. it in the fucking trash can, do something. <laughs> don't call anybody to pay mo any money to get rid of a deer. It I mean, you guys do pay a lot of taxes out there. Why duck. don't you just like hacksaw the leg, drag the thing in the street, and call the street department? I thought about that. Because that's what we do in the city. Because that's what Ellisville told me. They're like, well, it's on private property. We can't do anything about it. I'm like, oh, okay. So if I brought it out to the street. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Pinnacle point number two, J-Rod. What you got today? Uh, man, I, 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 I'm going to do it, and I hate to do it, and, and I don't mean to come off smug, but I watched um, our foe for Sunday, the, the, the lead-in match last night, and, and I'm just going to just, just spitfire some random points, but I'm going to finish it with a point. And this is going to come off a little bit arrogant, and, and I'm sorry, because who the hell am I? But... Um, Game Sporting KC completely dominated the game against San Jose. Um, I thought for sure we were playing them the whole time. Don't care who we play. It will be nice to beat Sporting. It will suck to lose to them in our little three-game series coming up. Um, it would it, suck hypothetically if that were to happen. Hypothetically is let the, me, is let the me right me word. Good, good pronunciation your again. answer there. Um, uh, 
I, I don't. I would love to talk to Mr. Rouston and uh, Gonzalez, the coach. Um, why they didn't play Cade Cowell the whole game is just baffling because he was the most dynamic field player on the field the second half. That's just one small point, and I'll let you guys discuss it. Well, no, let me jump in on that okay. real quick because as the game was going and, and Cowell in those last uh, 30, 35 minutes, yep. in my mind, as much as I'm – look, it, we, get, we got Kansas City. It, it, it paints a perfect picture, right? If we're, if we're going to truly year one – make this claim, to a degree, you have to beat them in the playoffs, especially the way this thing's laid out. We could play them six times this year. That's amazing. But here's the thing. Watching Cade for those 30, 35 minutes or so, I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to play him. No. No, no, no. no. I would rather play Kansas City than that guy. And here's where I'm going to come off crazy. Watching those penalty kicks. (sighs) Oh, my God. I mean, and I know these guys are pros, and this is where I'm going to come off a little bit arrogant and whatnot, and who the hell am I? Was that an under-10 um, recreational game with those first three penalty kicks that the San Jose took? Those were the worst three penalty kicks I've ever seen. After the whole buildup about Mejia or whatever his name is, Melia, the, the sporting goalie and his stats and, and, and how good he is at penalty kicks, that guy's good at penalty kicks because the first three players – didn't hit it anywhere near him. I mean, the one kid, Huell, who missed against him, in the, he shot it 10 yards over the goal. Yeah, that it, was it, worse it, than Roberto Baggio. Still hasn't landed. Yeah. Secondly, the first penalty kick, the guy almost got hurt. Yeah, he did. Yeah. It, it's like, a, I, I couldn't even believe the, the, just how they showed it, up for it's, penalty it's kicks. It's almost as if the body language is, as they were walking, it was like they had googly eyes with the goalie and like pointing, I'm going to go right there. And, and the dude, it was like slow steps into into the lane. Like, you could have put a cone in the goal, and the first two would have been saved. <laughs> uh, pretty close. Yeah. I, I just, right. I was so, embarrassed for San Jose, and, and, and Rawson's a friend of the show, and I love him to death. And I guarantee you those players, and not to kick them when they're down, or the organization, I guarantee you they're saying the same thing. We have to be better. Yeah, look. look it, as good as that, the goalie has been, for KC, at some point, pick your spot and hit the ball 85 miles per hour. Just run through it. You know, because you watched Mealy. How do you pronounce his name? I don't Zach, know. this is to you. I don't. I have no idea. That's the whitest dude with Amelia in a little. It's M I E L I A I A. Yeah, Melia okay. Thing. That guy, yeah. Kansas yeah. goalie. That's what we're gonna call him. Yeah, like that he, guy's last he, name should he be. He literally Patrick. just walked left and right down the line. Really. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about Kansas Kansas soccer in here in a little bit. Uh, my pinnacle point of the day is this: um, I've had a few people reaching out to me about. Uh, uh, topics, subject matter, as it applies to, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a little bit of high school soccer, um, and more importantly, the transition into uh, college, uh, recruiting, mm. uh, kids preparing themselves, etc. And one thing occurred to me, and this is here's my point. For all of you high school coaches out there, and, and frankly, to you club coaches as well, and parents, I think you need to step back a little bit and ask your players and or your child, what is your goal? What do you want? Do you want to play high school? For example, the high school debate that I was having, do you want to play high school soccer because you want to go on to the next level? 
Do you want to play college soccer? Do you want to play with buddies? Do you want to just represent your school? Or do you just not want to come home and do chores? Whatever it is, let's create a list of options and let's figure out what your priority is. Because in talking to coaches, a few coaches, high school coaches in particular, that are competing and entering into the playoffs, I know of a few of these teams that have good players, quality players that are on the fence and could probably have went the academy route and or moving up, go play college ball. And what I'm finding out is they have no interest in playing college ball. But here's my point. Coaches are projecting their program's expectation, the program's value relative to club and or vice versa in areas in which the kids don't care. Because one of the biggest arguments that high school coaches have been making lately to me behind the scenes is this. We can get them there too. Okay, great. I believe that. There's always relationships and that ability. But do your kids want to go there? They're not asking. And so this, this, this tension between high school and clubs has been accelerating. And these kids hold the answer in their own, you know, th- th- their own guts. Well, let's be real. I mean, you, we've I, said it a thousand times. And we've, I, I, I've said that exact same thing because I've had people ask me, well, where, where, what, what club should my kid go into? And I said the same thing. You need to talk to your kid. What do they want? <clears throat> what do they want to do? <clears throat> and if they're five and they say they want to go pro, then you put them in a club that will help them get there. And they might not make that, but at least you're giving them that opportunity. Now, that being said, most of the high school kids that choose to go play for their high school are probably not thinking about playing in college. Correct. Because they know the path to college is the kids that are going through the academies. I Look, I agree. And that's where I would like to see the high school camp in particular step off of that argument a little bit. If you're going to lean into experience... If you're going to lean into uh, opportunity and loyalty and all these things as it applies to playing for your school, make it about that. Yeah, because don't make it a competition anymore. I agree. And it doesn't mean that you can't play for you can play for your high school and not play for college. It doesn't mean that It just means the majority of the kids that are going to play in college realize the best path for that is through the academy system yeah. today. Now, on the flip side of that. I started off with the the, the, Boys. the other part of pinnacle point, my pinnacle point of the day, was talking about the kids going through the process. I think college coaches, you know, and may, and and we'll try. We should try more more moving forward. College coaches, I think, should spell out clear, kind of what they're looking for. You know, a little bit yeah. the process, and, and I'm not putting it on them, but it I'm, really I'm, depends on the college that you're talking yeah. about. I totally agree, but I think that they're, we're still talking about teenagers that are immature and that are stressed out, and I'm just being empathetic towards the players as well because they're getting the pressure from club slash high school as to where they should be, and if they do want to go and play at the next level, they have the pressure and the stress of wondering, well, who wants me? What do I need to do? So it's just this chaotic world right now. It is, and there's and, a lot of resources and, and, out and, there. And in summary, my pinnacle point of the day is talk more. Ask more yeah. questions you know, of your players, of your kids' players. Check Ask in. more questions of your coaches and, you know, and how to do it. Because actually, you can just go on Google and like suggested tips for college recruiting. You know, another thing that's you know? that's kind of a byproduct of the point that 
that I've said multiple times about your point is that in our little area here in St. Louis, in our bubble, we have such a unique high school versus club that isn't often in in other places. The other, the, 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 if you're looking at it half full, we have high school coaches, we have club coaches, we have so many people, which yeah. is what you're saying, that have played the game in college, have played professionally, that like, like if you're playing this game in some other unnamed metropolitan area, there might not be very many people, ears that you can bend, that you could be like, what should I do, boy or girl? Yeah. In our area, high school clubs, the four, five, eight clubs that we have, they're, they're, we are littered with people. Yeah. And coincidentally, our guest today, oh boy, is he one of them. Ah. Well, so so here's, here's my closing comment in regards to that point. <clears throat> I'm going to put the pressure on the parents. Talk to your kid. Ask them Check the in. questions. Yep. Check in with them. Because they are going through a shit ton of stress across all these planes. And when it comes to the game, it should be fun. And if they want to challenge themselves, ask them, how, how far do you want to challenge yourself? And Figure that out the first. More you check in, and then go, then go from there. And the more you check in, the better. Because you don't want to find out their senior year that they never wanted to play college, but you've been paying... <laughs> Yeah, thousands and thousands of dollars per year. Yeah, don't find out in the bottom of the eighth. Yeah. All right, here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to get some refills. We're going to roll out with a little bit more of Sir Elton. And when we come back, we're going to talk a ton of old school soccer stories and more. So thanks for listening. Give us a follow. Give us a share. And we'll catch you on the other side. Sends him to the finest school in town. Zach here. I love my kids, really. And when my kids have a knock, a sprain, a tweak, I like to get them back to 100% as soon as possible. I also hate deductibles. I get it. But now, in Missouri, I don't have to waste any unnecessary copay after my child rolls their ankle because now I can go straight to a PT. No more pediatric visits in a germ-infested lobby waiting for permission to go to a physical therapist. Axis Physical Therapy has 19 locations from Glen Carbon to Winsville and specializes in rehab, especially soccer rehab. So instead of burning a couple of needless hours and cash going to get a referral, take that bump or bruise straight to Axis. Go to AxisPT.com for more info. And feel free to Venmo me your half the savings. Hey everyone, buying a home, it's kind of a big deal. Never has there been more competition to buy, so few homes to choose from, all made worse by an uncertain interest rate landscape. Now that you're short a bedroom for the third kid, you're in the wrong school district, and a walkable corner pub isn't nearly close enough, it's time to reach out to the Pinnacle Loan Team for help. They work with a network of agents that have their feet on the ground across the whole region and have a number of loan products that are cost-effective with a process that is simple. Basically, they've got you covered from start to finish. So when it's time to buy, visit thepinnacleloans.com. That's thepinnacleloans.com. Simply the best in home loans. You might have got blue tongue from that gear. You might have chronic wasting disease right now. <laughs> I didn't touch it barehanded. Well, were you wearing a hazmat suit? No. I what do you mean you didn't touch it? How did you remove a deer from your fucking fence and you didn't touch it? I had gloves on. Oh, God. 
Did you oh, use like I'm sorry like bathroom cleaning? Paul Bunyan over here. I forgot he's <laughs> had so much experience removing dead animals from his domicile. Domicile. Good God. Hey, by the way, I, this weekend's coming up. The three of us are going to be spending an inordinate amount of time together over the next three days. I didn't choose that. <laughs> We've got a golf tournament tomorrow that we're playing in on Friday. And then we're driving 11 hours round trip to no. Minneapolis. No, eight. Like max eight. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Still, it's a lot of time. Yeah. Maybe not. What are you calculating the Eastern time zone jump? Yes. <clears throat> well, it won't be that bad. Why do you have to bring all the negatives out and everything? That's, I didn't say anything negative. You could have had back straps and beers with uh, seasoned in Dales. Yeah. Why are you not bringing us like uh, deer brats? I want a snack stick with jalapeno. I've been very clear about why we don't have back straps or anything related to the deer meat. <laughs> okay. Uh, rolling us in with a little bit of Kiss, Detroit Rock City, uh, yeah. in honor of uh, <clears throat> the uh, the beloved Masked Marauders themselves. They played here last night. They were down at Enterprise. Last time? Kiss. Last time ever, it sounds like. Oh, uh, is it one of the, yeah, the, first, the first of their seven farewell tours? Maybe. <laughs> nice. Um <laughs> It, I think we were talking about it walking over there. You went to Kiss way back in the day. Kiss uh, and Aerosmith. Aerosmith and Kiss. Uh, name. Can't. Don't three, do three Kiss songs. I can't. <laughs> I, 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 I That's told okay. You. The vast majority of Kiss fans can't name three Kiss songs. I, so you're fine. There's only the one that you played a couple episodes ago. I was like, oh, that's, that's the one I know. And then I got nothing else. After Lick that. it up. You know that one? No. Here, That's not here the one real I know. quick. We're going to bring our guests on in a second. This is this would be a little. By the fun. way, here, we're down about here at Soccer one? Park, and it's <clears throat> glorious. How about this? We've got the window out to Field One, and apparently there's a costume contest going on tonight. And yeah. there are some <clears throat> badass costumes that I've seen walk by. I saw two girls walk by as Gatorade bottles. Kids, kids today <laughs> have the advantage of Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What about this one, Jared? You like this one? Look it up. I do like this one. Right. I saw Patrick Longo walk by, um, and then three more Patrick Longos walk by. How about this one? <laughs> this is the one I know. What's it called? School of Rock? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Once bitten, twice shy? No. That's, no, that's great. Kiss. White. Okay, that's it. Kiss music trivia. No, done. I got nothing. It's time. It's time for our guest today. Um, I'm just, I'm, you know, we're just going to get right into it. We've got NASL... Uh, MISL, U.S. National Team, Coach DeJour, uh, South City native slash North County Juco <laughs> standout, Denny Vanager. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, thanks. Appreciate you joining us. Are you uh, just super looking forward to this conversation after the last 20, 25 minutes? <laughs> I've enjoyed the last 20, 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all say, unless they're just patronizing us. Oh, I, th be. I think there's a fair yeah. amount of patronization I, that's going I, I'm on. I'm stoked there. about Denny because of a variety of reasons. One, some of the most respected guests we've ever had on the show have told us multiple times, you got to get Denny on. Have you had you him got, yet? You, How many you times have you had Denny on yet? Yeah. Constantly. Um, so that's one reason I was really excited to have you. The other is my son plays for a club that's not Gallagher, and I'm going to show you his kit because I think it's really cool because it looks very familiar 
Oh, yeah. St. Louis Stars. Yep, the St. Louis Stars. And they adopted the NASL kit colors and, and design and everything. And it's, it's, it's a cool throwback. Right. Um, and we had, um, we haven't had him on, but, but Gary, um, John Blank here. Oh, Gary Rensing. Rensing. Yeah. Also played for the stars. Um, and his grandson <clears throat> plays with our boys right. at city. Right. And my younger son was wearing his, uh, kit. And oh he, yeah. He's oh, wow. That he was really excited to see right. those colors again. And in that, that logo and, so two reasons why, Denny, I'm excited to hear, and so I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful you came in. I'm glad to be here. You guys are very interesting and, and knowledgeable <laughs> on the sport. So let's get into interesting. <laughs> well, I tell you what, here's what, here's what I would like to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's fall. It's that time of year. Um, I always like to like help the listener get an idea because uh, of – where are you from? Where you grew up? Because everybody that, <clears throat> excuse me, the the majority of the guests we have have such incredible stories. But I love tying in the roots, you know, the neighborhood, you know, where it all started. So, give it, give us a little bit of kind of you know <clears throat> the neighborhood, uh, you know, where you grew up, and intro to the game. Let's get some of those X's and O's out of the way, and then we're going to move into some fun. Uh, Soccer, soccer chatter. Great, great. I, uh, I grew up in South St. Louis, went to St. Mary and Jill's down by Crownlet Park till third grade. Then I went to St. Anthony's grade school, uh, Merrimack and Grand down by the old Ted Drews again in the oh, city, yeah. South City. And my passion was I'm the oldest of seven kids. And I, uh, all I did was play soccer. That's all I want to do was play and, you know, read about Pele, read about soccer, watch soccer with only on Sunday mornings, Toby Charles soccer, made in Germany, I think yep. it was on. Yep. P- PBS. We watched that, and it was kind of a weird kid because everybody else played. I played baseball and everything else with St. Anthony's, but my joy was soccer, and I, I thought I was pretty good until I uh, played for Spanish Society, um, Spanish club. Obviously, I used to take the bus to practice with my shin guards and shoes and a little brown bag. And I never really got to play. I was a midfielder, and I never got to play unless we were winning like three or four to nothing. I, and, and <laughs> I thought I was a lot better than that, to be honest with you. <laughs> then I get to high school, and I tried out for the football team. And I was, I was very small. I went to St. Mary's. And I tried out for the football team. And the first day, the coach came over, and he looked at me, and he said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm playing football. You know, I mean, I'll go long. Throw it to me. Give me enough quarter. What do you need? I'm, I'm here. <laughs> And uh, he gave me a pad to hold and had a senior come over and hit me. And I rolled like five times and then I, I quit. I didn't play football. So at St. Mary's, I tried off a football and baseball three years and I got cut all three years. And my junior year, I got cut from the soccer team. And I was pretty upset because I thought I was, I didn't think I was really good. I just thought I could make the freaking soccer team as a junior. And uh, the teacher had me for typing, and I'm sitting there, and he came up to me and he said, hey, some of these guys said you're pretty good, so you can be on the team. The only problem is we don't have any jerseys, so you need to get your own jersey. And I was like, what color? I'll I'll get it. So I went home. My dad goes out, and I bought two jerseys, number 22, and they were freaking football jerseys. Everybody else had jerseys with the strings on them and all that, and I had a freaking football jersey. That's awesome. So I, I I didn't play that much junior year. And then senior year, we had we we didn't lose a game. We were like twenty eight and zero and one, and won the state championship. That was kind of cool. And I wasn't really going to go to school. I thought I was going to be a carpenter. And uh, 
I went to Florissant Valley, Flow Valley, and played there for two years. For Pete? And, and for Pete Sorber. Yep. Yep. Nicest guy, nicest coach, great coach, great, great guy, great team. After that, I was going to go to Harris Teachers College, and I started going to school. Whoa, and, whoa, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. We cannot let you off the hook. Pete Sorber, <laughs> nice guy. You guys won back-to-back national champions that year. Those years you were at Flow Valley, right? So like, that's no small feat. Yeah, you and, guys. And how many losses? Yeah, like your career at Flow Valley. No, let's call it JUCO. It was a different time. Whatever the hell we're gonna call it, back to back national championships. I don't care what you're doing. You guys were fucking good. So don't just skate past that. Let's talk about those <laughs> years a little bit because here's another thing in our game, and we'll get down the road here. Pete Sorber, who is a out-of-this-world leader in our game, who has a son that's an out-of-this-world leader in our game, has had some very good things to say about you. When you were leaving Full Valley, he said that you were probably the most athletic, best player that he's ever seen in the air. I mean, so... Let's not skate past those years, Mr. Vanegar. I mean, those are phenomenal years for you, for our city, and for what took place in that era. So can you talk about those years at Full Valley a little bit? Sure. We we had a good team. We had a lot of good players. And at the time, we didn't know that we were that good. I mean, we're, what, 18, 19 years old. You just go to practice. You show up for the games on Saturday, and then you have a party Saturday night, and you start over on Monday. (laughs) We didn't really pay attention, uh, although we were were very serious about training and everything. And Pete was – Pete was one of the best coaches I've ever played for because Pete was the type of guy that would pick the team and then tell every one of the kids as you go out there, hey, just do what you do. It wasn't like he was dictating like a little mm-hmm. hockey machine where you use the handles and tell the players what to, how, how to run them. Joysticking. Joysticking, exactly right. No, Pete was, Pete was incredible. The team was incredible. We had two years. We, uh, we never lost a game. We won the national championship two years wow. in a row, and it was kind of uh, the highlight of my life, obviously. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. After that, like I said, I was going to go to Harris Teachers College, and I went for a semester because the only reason I went because my girlfriend, Karen, who is my wife now of 47 years, uh, was going to Harris. So I was following her and her friends, and it always helped to have those girls around because they always had jobs in different offices, and they always had <laughs> access to the... Uh, exams before anybody else so <laughs> i did pretty well full, at Harris that fr- semester <laughs> full fridges right. you know all right. those uh, fringe benefits right and then um popovic don popovic who was a very nice guy at the time came up talked to my parents three or four times and had asked them if i'd be interested in going to canada and playing professional soccer so he came up to me and asked me and gave me an offer and said, here's how it works. Here's, and I said, well, I, got, I need to talk to my parents. And he said, yeah, I need to do that. So I went home, talked to my parents. Little did I know till a couple years later that he had already worked out the whole deal with them. It was, they had, my dad had my bag packed, I think, because it was. What, what, what did your dad do? My dad <clears throat> was a father of seven kids, and he drove a Dr. Pepper truck. Really? And so, my mom didn't work. She just ironed clothes and cooked dinner. and. So. Okay, so seven kids, you're the oldest. Was soccer in your dad's blood at all? Or were you the one, you, no. were you first? Soccer first was not in anybody's blood in my family. Uh, my dad and mom were good athletes. My mom's very fast track runner type thing. My dad played softball, baseball, everything. You know, this is 19, I was born in 1952. So this is, this is 
this, it was a different world back then. And so, they, uh, so, so my question then is like, because I always love this aspect of these stories. Um, you are exiting St. Mary's. You guys just won state championship. Um, Flow Valley, Pete and crew is interested. I'm assuming scholarship. Did you get a scholarship to go play? I, I had a lot of offers to go to a lot of different schools, but like I said, I, I thought I was going to be a carpenter. I, my uncle was a carpenter, and I thought, well, I'm just going to I'm going to be a carpenter because they apparently have a lot of fun. They work, drink a lot of beer, <laughs> do a lot of fishing and hunting. I mean, I was yeah. I was up for that. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I... I I went up to Canada and played, and before was that, that the, was that the Serbian team in Canada? Serbian White Eagles, okay, Canadian yeah. Soccer League, okay. Before that, I played with Kudis, the national. We were the national champions of the uh, yeah, amateur I, cup. I love that how you're year. casually skipping yeah, over. Yeah. Oh, we won a national championship with Kudis. You know? <laughs> so let me let me ask a, a very serious question. From St. Mary's to Post Flow Valley, in your amateur career, how many losses did you have? Well, it's it's funny. We we get together once in a while, a couple guys, uh, Madison and Boker and Denny, one and myself. And at St. Mary's, Kudis, and Flow Valley, too, in four years, we never never lost a game in any of those teams. Holy <laughs> shit. And we won three three national championships, which is kind of, that's again, amazing. we didn't realize that we were going through the motions. And our the biggest thing for us was obviously the games on Saturday. But the uh, the parties after the game. Yeah, you guys were just beating the brakes off people, and then then partying harder than right. them. I mean, we were, we were good rules. at both. Yeah, we we're pretty you were good earning, at both. You were earning your parties. That's what you guys were doing. Exactly. Yeah, we earned them. Well, we did. did did you did you understand at the time? Because you seemed so nonchalant to a degree, almost flip about those years, uh, in, a, in in this weird way. Were you cognizant of? All the other soccer, the the pedigree, the successes that were occurring at SLU and you know at, at every block at every institution in our town during that generation, everyone was winning at the highest level. Were you cognizant of the fact that you you were a major part of that story we, of that generation? I don't know if we were cognizant of that. We we knew Omsol and and uh, St. Louis U, SIU. Rockers had a lot of St. Louis players. Quincy had a lot of St. Louis players. We were we were friends. All of us had played and won all those things. We were all friends and hung out and played for a club team. You know, there was four or five clubs, and we all played for the club team. And everybody, we used to go after a Flow Valley game, we would go watch St. Louis play, and they would watch us play, and we would scrimmage against Flow Valley. It's kind of weird. Not Flow Valley. When I was playing at Flow, we would scrimmage against SLU and SIU. And... We would beat them, and they they wouldn't play us the second year, yeah. Because we would beat them. Not not saying that we were better than them, but we were a lot more excited about playing yeah. them, I'm yeah. sure, than they were excited Absolutely. about playing us. Yeah, we get that. Yeah. And we had the best field in the Midwest. Pete Sorber had the best field in the Midwest at Flow Valley. I didn't realize that. The top field around the you know, track around it was everybody wanted to play there. But everybody else was playing SLU, and them including they were playing at Francis Park, right. which was the dog track. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So everybody okay. wanted to play at Flow. In fact, Pete wouldn't even let us go up there and even look at the field. He would <laughs> sneak up there to play on it. He'd run up and kick us off. So. All right. So let's talk a little bit about that transition getting into the Canadian years. You, you know, because it's that's that's not a minor jump. I mean, you're go, you're going from JUCO to pro. Uh, you're now getting paid to play. 
you know, you were you, you just kind of joking about, you know, thought you were going to be a carpenter. You're looking for that simplistic path. But now you're playing a game that you love and that you're obviously pretty good at and they're paying you for it. Did, what was what was that like in transitioning and kind of like accepting and leaning into being a pro versus walking away from what you thought was going to be your path? Right. It was it was totally different. When I got to Canada, I, we'd go to practice. We would practice like from 9 to 11 and 2 to 4. And nobody on the team spoke English. They were all Serbians, Yugoslavians. And I was the only, only player that spoke English. Popovic didn't. First game we played, there was about 6,000 people there. And we're playing. And, and our team was incredibly good. They were in second place. And somebody crossed the ball, and I headed it in in about 10 minutes. And as we're running back to the center half, everybody's running up, kissing me on both cheeks. And our players, <laughs> get off me, get our off players. me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I'm, I was a pretty big guy compared to most soccer players yeah, back then. Yeah. And I'm pushing them off and getting little pissed because I didn't. I didn't anybody kissing me after score a goal. I said, that's not. That's not why I scored. <laughs> that's what we do at the bar afterwards. Yeah, right. And then Pavel had to say, he "Goes, hey, quit pushing those guys away. That's what we do." I said, yeah, "Well, he, you can do what you want to do, but not to me." I'm you're like, like, I'm from the state streets, <laughs> yeah. man. Stay I'm away. from South St. Louis, man. Don't be kissing me. Well, and not to fast forward this because I, I, I want to get to it because it's just so freaking important for me, and I think our listeners will really enjoy it. So after the Canadian years, you play for the Stars. I want to jump ahead. JB may bring us back a little bit to those Fort Lauderdale years. We've had a lot of peers of yours on the um, on the show. Uh, some of them have played for the Cosmos. Some of them played in the NASL, all different eras. That Fort Lauderdale team um, – I think the year that the main year you guys actually win the division over the Cosmos, um, we we know the, the the stars that were on the Cosmos. You and they and they and all these guests have talked about him, George Best. You played with George Best. I mean that dude probably bought you lunch. Um, I mean, talk about <laughs> talk about George Best a you, little bit. You must because, know the because, story because no, I, I I just know that George Best was arguably in some people's mind maybe one of the best soccer players ever and we have a gentleman on our show that played on the same field with him trained two times a day with him and i think our listeners will really appreciate the history george best go george best was obviously one of the best players in the world he came to fort lauderdale and everybody's kind of in shock and when he got there, everybody was kind of, you know, taking pictures and doing stuff. And, and especially the English and Irish and Scottish players were beside themselves. And me and Tony Whelan, who was English, who became one of my good friends, who currently is with Manchester United as we speak, and has been there for 25 years. Well, George, we'd, we would practice in the morning, 9 to 11, and then 1 to 3, and we'd go to lunch. George Best, myself, George Nansoff, Tony Whelan, and Ray Hudson, who, who's an announcer mm -hmm. somewhere mm -hmm. in the United States. I don't know where, but yep. we would go to lunch, and we went to Denny's every day, and we'd go in. And the first day we go in, we're sitting there, and Tony goes, I got it, I got it. And the guy comes over, he goes, no, it's all taken care of. So we're in there for two and a half weeks preseason, and every day we eat lunch, and it's free. 
and we're thinking, wow, this, this guy, I wonder what he wants. He needs some balls or shirts or what, what's he <laughs> looking for? To find out George Best had told him at the beginning before we ever went in there that don't ever charge any of us anything for anything. JB wow. often asks, um, and we'll go through your whole timeline of your career, and, and not to jump ahead, but it and the best player, um, who, who is George Best the best player you ever seen? Definitely, definitely. He 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 had everything, in, and he's, the guy is only, I think, five six or something. He was incredible and and super nice guy. You know, he was he was he was unbelievable nice guy. We used to play racquetball all the time, and the same thing at the racquetball club. After practice, we would go there and order whatever you want, and everybody's thinking they're going to pay for it, and we never had to pay for anything because oh, the guy God. was just he was incredible. Sounds like nobody I know. No, it's nobody I know either. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> it's nobody, nobody. For a guy like that, he, you know, on, on that team was Gordon Banks, who the goalkeeper. Yep. Played in the 1966 World Cup for England when they won with Bobby Charlton, who just passed away a couple days ago. Yeah, in fact, I got a picture of Gordon Banks and Bobby Charlton. I'm standing in the middle of them. We went to England twice with Fort Lauderdale. And I'm standing in the middle of them, and I got a picture of them. I just sent it to Tony Wheel and a man you on Sunday when, wow. I, when we found out. Well, okay, wow. Okay, so I, I, I've got to ask, excuse me, just a, just kind of a reflective frame of reference question for you then. Uh, and we'll, we'll go back. But you're talking about eating lunches with George Best. In a Denny's. He had the American Slam um, on George Best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah American <laughs> Slam. Um, you know, you're going to England with the team and, you, and you're taking pictures with Bobby Charlton. <clears throat> has it set in? Like, at what point has it set in? Or It, it set it? in last Sunday more than any time because I looked up some old pictures and I started looking at them. And when I was doing it, when you're going through the motions and playing and you know, you train in the morning, you train in the afternoon, you play on Saturdays, you do a lot of traveling. The country's big, and you travel mm -hmm. back and forth. And I had just got married when I went to Fort Lauderdale. I'd been married three months, and then I got traded to Fort Lauderdale. It was like, I, I couldn't think of another place. I, I would have got traded for I would have went there and not played, but uh, <laughs> it, was, it, it, was, it was pretty good, it turned out. So at the time, it's like all the games and all the teams I played for, you don't really... You don't realize what you're doing when you're doing it. You're just doing it. Now now I appreciate, especially at my age now, I mean, we're talking 40, 50 years ago. I really appreciate it. And now my grandkids kind of see some old scrapbooks and my wife tells them stuff and they'll, they, they appreciate it. In fact, two weeks ago, uh, Tony, my wife had talked to Tony Whelan and got, uh, oh, I can't think of his name. The best player on Man United, the little winger, number 10. Rooney? Gigs? No, the new Current? guy. Oh, uh, the new guy? Right now, I cannot think of his name. Ten. Rashford? Rashford, yeah. yeah. Rashford. yeah. See, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I purposely <laughs> have no idea what you're talking about. She got pictures of Rashford for my two grandkids. Wow, that's and they, cool. they, wow. And they about peeing their pants. They, got it, they already got them framed in their bedroom. So they... I think about the stuff I did now more than I ever did because I have grandkids that kind of... You know, my kids... When when they grew up, they you know we never even talked about it. They didn't know I was. Well, just it, it, it's they funny, liked the eighty two Cardinals. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny that you put it that way because um, a while back, months ago, um, Max, my youngest, um, we were talking and we were actually talking about this show and 
and there were a couple guests on. I think it was uh, Dan Drogi. Don Draghi. Drake, Don Draghi. Thank you. And was talking his business card and different yeah. things where showing the players and the list of people that he played against. And Max was like, not super, he wasn't connecting that he lives here and he kind of, quote, walks among, among us. It's that he knew all the players because FIFA. FIFA has the legacy legacy players. So, like, for for you, you guys are part of this generation that played with these, that freaking had lunch with George Best often. And two, three generations later, these kids are like, yeah, he's one, I've got him on my team on FIFA. Right. Like, and the popularity of the game has exploded, and there's a historical component to it that you're part of. That, like, that's pretty amazing. There's there's a story that I've heard heard it revolves around George Best but I don't want to talk about it yet I want to say that for a later segment but what JB's talking about is something that gets me every single time is that we had so many folks not just from St. Louis but across the country that were involved in that NASL league with some amazing Beckenbauer Pele Best why do you think Denny it didn't take off why didn't it stick here it was it was a foreign sport to to everybody back then i mean it was very unusual for americans to be playing professional soccer and then they made the rule where you only had to have three which was not a real rule that that only turned it into the coach would look in the locker room and say okay i need see i got two americans starting i need one more they would ne- they would never nobody would and ever the irony more. at that time in the time that he's talking about in the English Premier League, which is the best league in the world, they have a rule where you can only have two non-Englishmen on the field. Correct. So, like, I mean, baffling to me. I mean, that, 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 right. that's just that, – and we'll get into more of, of what that meant for you and the stand with your fellow players that you took. I mean, I, I, like, you played with the Mickey Mantles and the Babe Ruths and the Joe Montanas and the Joe – like, th- that's what th- – th- that people don't really realize. Right. George Best. Like, there could yep. be a soccer show of the real people that really know about soccer. Oh, yeah. And they'll take their Mount Rushmore. You can ask all the people that really played the game. George Best is on their He's Mount on Rushmore. He's on <laughs> well, let, let me ask you this then. in, in With – Playing with him as you guys are making your rounds around the league, let's go on the flip side. Was there a player or a an opponent, right, um, that even though you were kind of conditioned by being with George as a teammate, was there somebody that just kind of, holy shit, that is X? Well, obviously Pele and, and Johan Cruyff were... In fact, I got a picture uh, at the stadium, Bush Stadium, the old Bush Stadium, um, running next to Pele that somebody had sent me. It's like eight and a half by 11 framed. And my grandson, who's a freshman at Afton, about a month ago said, hey, can you send me that picture? Because I'm telling kids that my grandpa played with Pele. And they're like, you know what? You're full of crap. You're yeah, he should bet him. Nobody. Oh, no, no, no. Bring your 20s. There ain't no Any of you guys don't believe me. 20 spots. Who wants yeah. to see it? But like somebody like that, and another player that came over and played with Detroit, Trevor Francis, was probably one of the best players that played because he had just left England, and he was only you know 28 years old. Most of the time, the guys that came over were older and 
right. didn't play over there anymore, so they came over God here. So, it, I, you know, it's we're we're gonna go on a quick break, but I I just find it incredibly amazing how nonchalant you are about this. Like it's 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 impressive. Like. Because you you have lived experiences that aren't normal, like, and I think you're kind of talking about how the other day on Sunday you were going through photos and it's starting to kick in. How I mean, I think it's amazing. Oh, yeah, it is. But so, I I, I want to get to it, in the second half what those last forty years have done for the game mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. yeah. you can now start <clears throat> to realize your impact. Mm-hmm. And, and how that's going because I want to get into that as well. yeah I want to take a break and on the break we're going to going to open up our calendars and pick a date to go to Denny's and I'm buying <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after the break we got to get some refills here at Soccer Park see you people I'm Max and I'm nine years old when I'm not playing soccer jumping on a trampoline or playing Xbox, with permission of course, I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the Chief Flavor Officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you're interested in the secret sauce of success, Check out the Baked In Podcast. Now, back to those old guys. We're back. I can do this. This is a good one. You down with this one? Gotta ask, who knows it? Anybody? That's the song. (laughs) Derek and the Dominoes. AKA one of Eric Clapton's yeah. other bands. Yeah, Eric Clapton. I knew it's his voice, but I wasn't sure if it was Cream or yeah, Eric and the Dominoes. He was all over. He was actually a journeyman in spite of his prowess solo. Love it. It's a great song. This is a road trip song. Playing this in honor of our imminent road trip. Oh, yeah. Can Zach hear it from the trunk? I don't know. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll open up the ski rack hole. <laughs> I, might I, just I, just, I just can't wait to talk for, with you about politics for four hours straight. Really? Yeah, it's going to be great. Holy shit, you're going to feel dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm going to be driving by myself. We're back. I, I want to ask Danny something that I think... So you, you, you play with George, you play against Pele, Cruyff... Beckenbauer, all these guys. And then the NSL, NASL kind of starts to fade away. And you end up back in St. Louis with the Steamers. What's the contrast like <laughs> of playing in Fort Lauderdale with those guys compared to coming back here and playing with the guys with the Steamers? The contract money-wise? You no, mean? contrast. Contrast? Yeah. It, it was, it was, it, well, it's a different game, but it was totally different skill level I would think because indoor compared to outdoor at that time was totally different I mean the steamers and the arrows were the best two teams in the whole league mm-hmm. so that was good the skillful players but the the best thing about coming back playing for St. Louis obviously coming to St. Louis coming back home to play 
but was all they were all St. Louis players. There was maybe one or two, maybe four guys of the twenty players that weren't from St. Louis. It was and the coaches. Yeah. In fact, Pete Sorber helped. Flow Valley coach Tim Rooney, who who played at Flow Valley, coach. I mean, Pat McBride was. Did you circle back coach. with Popovich at that time? Popovic was with the Arrows. I didn't get okay. back with him until the storm in like 1985. Uh, okay. I helped him well, there. <clears throat> let me let me a, a question, sidecar question. Um, real quickly, let's go to your St. Louis Stars years. <clears throat> Excuse me. Talking about playing with St. Louis players, we completely neglected to mention and ask you about Al Trost. Playing with Al oh, yeah. during your time at the stars what was that like because al is he's al just, is just he's just incredible player he's just he's just fantastic player dribbler the ball he had speed he had foresight he, he scored goals he was just a good a quiet calm passive guy but incredible he's hard all athlete. in all a fantastic human exactly exactly you don't I, get nicer than al yeah, I, I think the thing with with Al, you know, and again, this is just kind of like Al and yourself and uh, so many others that we've spoke to, you guys are awfully just so chill about your experience. Um, and it, it, it really enamors me. And, you know, let's get back to the indoor years because there was that transition where the NASL is c clearly on the outs to the point it's out. Um, there's no other professional league here domestically indoors, the option, uh, steamers in those first few years, th that was special. The, the, the barn, the sellouts, the team, the successes. D did you, did you feel like you were going from, you know, in the NASL playing with George Bass, playing against Pele, et cetera, you're doing the stadium tour. You know, let's use a rock and roll analogy. You're doing a stadium tour in the NASL. Now, all of a sudden, you're at the Steamers. Is it more like you're at CBGB's just punk rock, tighter, smaller? It, it was It was like a concert more than, <laughs> I mean, especially at the arena. The game would start at 8, but would really didn't start to 8.35 because it would be four thousand people would walk in, yeah, and it was like eighteen thousand people, and the the building shook, and they did the introductions with the steam and everything. It was just fun. it was just a show, and on top of it, we scored eight or ten goals a game, almost every game. It was wow. it was just crazy. It was nonstop action. It was just kind of a new sport. It was it was. We played a game with the stars in nineteen seventy four, I think. Uh, played against the Russian Red Army team and we had 11,000 people and that was crazy because we had played with the Stars I think we averaged 6,500 for 10 years or wow. something but we played there and it was just a, it's a total different atmosphere because at Fort Lauderdale we had 16,000 people every game we played you know when wherever you played against Pele there was the place sold out 30,000 yep. yeah totally uh, different than indoor at the arena the arena was it was like a rock concert. It was crazy. And I, a little cart before the horse here um, for me, but like what we need to talk about, um, because I think you will just be hilarious about the, the story, is in them Fort Lauderdale days when three Americans could play on the field, um, or the rule was three Americans, can, can, can we talk a little bit about your role 
in specifically that team and and potentially the quote unquote strike that took place and the days leading to that and and kind of how that took place because you know I've never heard it from the horse's mouth but I have heard multiple stories from a lot of your peers and you know I guarantee you that our listeners will just really enjoy this. So if you could set the table, like our JB, you set the table. This is this is a really good story for. Well, no, I mean, let's just get right into it. You, there, there, <clears throat> there was a pseudo strike uh, to be, and you guys weren't going to let it happen. So, pay, give us give us a little bit of background lead, leading up to the strife, and w- what did you do to solve the problem? Well, we we had talked about. Every every team had a player rep, so I was the player rep in Fort Lauderdale, mainly because I was one of the few Americans that played all the time, and I was the biggest guy on the team. So I'm the player rep, and Ed Garvey, who was with the NFLPA back then. Because uh, these time, guys were all NFL owners, right? Right. They're all Joe Robbie owned the Strikers, and he owned the Miami Dolphins. Okay. So we're we're going to talk about not striking. We just went to the coach and said, "Hey, we need we need the." owner to recognize the union and Ryan Newman said well he's not going to recognize him we're not going to even talk to him so we had meetings with all the player refs of all the league of all the teams in the league and I became I was friends with Bobby Smith playing with a national team with him who was with the Cosmos so we decided well this date such and such date we're we're not going to play have your teams not play and all the American player refs said sure sure and they go what about Fort Lauderdale with George Best, Gordon Banks, Nanny Cabias, what about all these guys? I said, well, I don't know about them, but I'll make sure nobody else plays. And they said, how are you going to do that? I said, yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have a call, and we get ready to strike. And everybody knew there was going to be a strike, so the game's 8 o'clock that night against Washington. So I called a meeting at noon after practice, the pregame practice. That we, we met at noon, and I rented a hotel room. And we had the whole team in there, and they all came in, and they said, well, what's the meeting about? Well, I said, well, it's a player rep meeting, and I gave them all stickers in ASLPA. And about 1 o'clock, we got done eating lunch and everything. I said, well, we got to go take a nap, got a game. And I said, well, nobody can leave. And they kind of looked at me like, well, I said, we're, we're officially on strike. We're not going to play. And they, I think a couple of English players probably did wet their pants because they were scared to death. That <laughs> if they didn't play, they might get sent back, home. which is yeah. – freaking great for me send them back they don't need it. We're, <laughs> we're, on, it we're on strike because of the three american players and then they counted green cards as an american so we had two guys and me that played as americans on the strikers and the other two guys didn't speak english so i, I don't i don't think that's really an american back then it wasn't anyway I don't absolutely know. not they didn't play college they their their goal wasn't to play professional no. soccer like your guys's goal these guys were basically rejects from europe Right, and my, my consensus the whole time was the league's not doing that well because every year you change nine or ten of the players if you had them. If you have, if we started a pickleball league now and picked the worst athletes in the country to be on our team, we'd still have a leading scorer, the best server, the best killer of the ball, the best dress. So back then... Americans apparently didn't know anything about soccer, according to everybody. So why not just have all Americans? So we're, we're, we're on strike, and a couple of players said, well, we're going to leave. I don't know what you're going to do. And I stood at the door and had a few choice words that if you try to leave, and, and they kind of looked at him like, well, we really don't want to go again. They called me Big Denny because I was big. <laughs> and then Tony Whelan, 
who's 6'1", black guy from Man United, one of my best friends, stood at the door and said, you got to go through me and Big Denny if you want to leave. So that scared him. And then the other black guy on the team, who's my roommate, Colin Fowles from Jamaica, stood up and said, here's the deal. You got to go through us two black guys and Big Denny. <laughs> who's leaving? And the English guys almost started crying. They were, they were so upset. So we listened to the game, and Ron Newman's playing, his son's playing, the popcorn guy's playing, the security guard's playing. <laughs> Everybody's got a uniform because they wanted to, the league wanted to keep the schedule and play the game. So at halftime, I said, hey, anybody wants to leave, you can leave. And, and they almost busted down the door trying to leave, and we're sitting there listening to the game, the, the American guys, and Tony and Colin, who put their livelihood on the line. you got to give them credit for that. Uh, we heard... And here comes David Irving, and here comes Mars. We're like, what the fuck? Well, how did they get there so fast? They, they got to the game, put their uniforms on, and played the second half last 20 They were minutes. driving Fiat's. They, uh, Fiat's. So the next day, Ron Newman, or not the next day, two days later, Ron Newman comes to practice. This is the best. And he goes, okay, here's the deal. We're going to scrimmage. Denny, get all the guys that went on strike and put on a green bib. You guys go over there to Den Strike, and we're going to scrimmage for an hour. Yeah. Oh. And I, I think I dribbled past everybody 20 times because you know, everybody was so scared to death. We beat him like 15 to nothing. They love were, that they story. Were, I just, I, I just absolutely love that story. So, so let's 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 take a little jump in time then, <clears throat> because the kind of the second part of your soccer career, you shifted it. Instead of uh, wearing the kit and threatening teammates, uh, <laughs> you grabbed the clipboard and grabbed a whistle and you moved into coaching. Um, was it natural progression for you? Uh, d d is it something that you wanted to do when you knew you were kind of at that point? Or you know, what was the introduction well, to coaching? When I was playing, I always did school visits and I, and I always... When I first year I played with the Stars, they had a six-month contract. And I told them, I said, I don't want a six-month contract. I want to work all year. And the next six months when I'm not training in season, I'll go visit schools and do PR and do coaching stuff. And they're like, oh, well, we don't know about that. So they made a job up, director of player development. So I did that. I was fortunate. And then Pat McBride talked me into going to a national license course. So I took a B license, and I finally got my A and while I was playing, I went to Fort Lauderdale and Tony Wheel, and I talked him into taking these classes. And him and I visited schools, hospitals, did stuff, and we taught licensed courses. So I came back to St. Louis with the Steamers, and then I ended up hooking up with Bush Soccer Club as director of coaching. I never really coached teams, per se. I've always been involved in coaching education. Directing. So yeah. I did that for 18 years here, where we're sitting, Bush Soccer Club, and then 18 years... After that, I was the director of coaching for Missouri Youth Soccer. I traveled around the state and taught license courses and camps and clinics. I think I went to one of your courses, actually. Did you? Yeah. Well, Probably an F license, three hour, yeah. I, I, I need to talk about this, and this is selfish, because I grew up in the Bush Soccer Club, and I played from 1985 to 2000, no, no, 85 to 95, let's call it. That was in the heart of the Bush Soccer Club camps for me that I attended, that you were involved in. You you actually ran um, with uh, David Bursick, uh, uh, the next guest, and Daryl Duran was there, and many right, other coaches right. that Mr. Boker and Jim Boker and all these St. Louis greats. For me, and, and this is what I'll finally remember, Mr. Vaniger, 
Um, when I was going to those ga- those camps as a youth, I was immersed in playing for a very good club team at Bush, and it was very serious. It was very um, um, business like business like right. technical. Um, a lot of fitness. I played for Tom Holmes. You know him, right. great. He was right. a good friend of yours. You had a knack, uh, and I don't know if this was your coaching style, but you made the camp, you made the activities, you made, and it wasn't a, a, a like just a day camp. It was get better camp. It was a high-level camp. At what point in your life, playing for all those teams and playing with those those aces that we just outlined in, in, the, in the episode, why did you make it so fun? I mean, why was it so fucking fun? It's it's the passion of coaching. It's the passion of playing. If you like to do something, the more you do it, the better you get. The better you get, obviously, the more you do it, and it's an evolving circle of playing, getting better, enjoying it, and just having the thrill of your life. There's nothing more fun than taking a group of 6, 8, 10, 12, 6, 15-year-olds and have them go absolutely crazy playing soccer, and when they leave, don't want to leave. They still want to stay. It's it's fun. It's got to be fun. Can I ask you a theoretical question then? Because, you know, sitting here now for a little over 45 minutes or so, talking to you and, and getting to know more about your own personal expectations, your background, siblings, your dad, Dr. Pepper trucks, and all this other stuff, it seems to me as if it, the, the sport came naturally to you, but you didn't have a North Star or a... Uh, a goal that growing up where you were like, I want to be a professional soccer player. And then whenever you became a competitive college player, it's almost as if you didn't think about it then either. All this stuff, you you kept kind of competing and elevating to the level that warranted your skills, but you've kept a really kind of a cool, calm, collected, fun attitude about it. Um, So when you look at coaching... I can see to to the point what you were just talking about, Jared. Why wouldn't a kid want to play for you? Because it, it, it was never a job to you, even though it was your job. Right. It, has has soccer ever been a job for you in hindsight? No, no. It's still, I still do five to eight hours a week for Scott Gallagher, either a coaching class, coaching education for some of the schools that are members with us. And I still do other coaching stuff. But I do, last night I was at Forsyth School. We had 55 preschool kids. Ugh. 55 balls on a turf field, four coaches. But you play you play chase the rabbit without the ball and play tag. Everybody's it. No ball, add a ball, and then dribble. And the kids are, they, they don't really, you got to trick kids into playing the sport that you're coaching having fun if they're having fun they'll give you 110 percent. if so, they're not having fun this is so refreshing well and I, I think the the class i went to it wasn't even an f license i think it was just a <laughs> an overview course that you had given <clears throat> and you had said i've i've watched a lot of trainings and i see a lot of kids standing around that's not coaching every kid needs to have a ball every kid should have a, a, you you rattle off a, a certain number of touches per right, session right. Right. And I've never forgotten that. Right. And that That's was it. 10 plus years ago, right. one time. Right. And you constantly just beat it over and over. They have to have fun. Make it a game. Make it a competition. And our kids have come through the program here at Scott Gallagher. Uh, and I can tell you, Kenny Godat has picked that up. Right. Kenny Godat. Program. Um, 
every flipping game is a competition and the rules are so dumb sometimes us parents watching it have no clue what's going on but the kids know exactly what rule is and when it's been broken and they make sure that they let everybody know about it but i think that the point i'm getting from you it's similar to steve rawston because we asked him kind of a similar question he did not start most of his high school career was not kind of picked to go on and be great and then he was one of the best MLS players we've ever had. Top, Yeah, top of the pile. You guys have a similar answer. I just love the game. Right. I love playing. And you've, you've infected so many people, right. including a very, very young Jared Bertrand. Oh, my gosh. Who I, is still, you know, 30 years later, 40 years later, talking about it. And that's such a testament. And I, I, we talk about the, the giants that, that walk among us, JB. We, oh, yeah. We've said that a thousand times, the outros and, and folks like you, but I'm just, I'm in awe. Well, well, let me ask you this. Hey, hey, real quick, eating, like going to that camp when it was 150 degrees in the summertime <laughs> on a on sheet of AstroTurf yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was on concrete <laughs> and going with shoe good uh, indoor shoes and then before this grill was here, this was just an open-air aggregate patio that they would just serve us lunch on. Like, for five years that I went to that in my youth with my friends, it was the absolute best time of my life. Yeah. And he was running these camps. And I remember it vividly. And you just made it freaking fun for everybody. Right. But let me, let, me, let me ask you this. Let's fast forward to today. Um, because you're obviously out at the club often. You're here at the park with coaching, uh, the classes, etc. You, I'm clearly you're looking over your shoulder often. You're watching, you know, coaches like Tritt out there with the academy team and uh, Timmy Leonard going down the ladder. You know, all these great coaches. Um, when you look at the kids today, when you look at what they're doing, when you look at the the structure, the format, the skill sets, the speed, the size. What's your take on today's kind of club environment? Com- compared to you know when you started in the eighties and nineties and you know because Bush was a premier soccer club in the nation, now you're looking at SLSG today, still a premier club. Clearly, there's competition down the street with City and everything that's going right, on. Right. But when you look at the kids and the training and what they're doing, what, what's your what's your one hundred and one or your uh, opinion of today's marketplace? It's it's different. Uh, the kids are definitely better technically, much better, much quicker, much faster, a lot more. We never, we never, until I, I don't remember ever working on a dribbling move, a step over or a cry for, if somebody tried to teach us that move, what, what we did, you know, the coach would say, when you get the ball, if you're faster than the guy you're dribbling past, kick it past him and go, I mean, there was technical <laughs> players, especially Al Trolls, guys like that, Georgie Basquiat, guys like that. But now it's, 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 and you mentioned Ken Godad, who's one of the best trainers in the Midwest, if not the country, because he makes it fun. And it's, it's, you mentioned games, a good, a good thing for practice for kids that have fun and train hard and do well is organized chaos. You don't, coaches are too methodical. It's, it seems that everybody, and I've already said this, that St. Louis has 10,000 100,000 soccer players, and we got 998,000 midfielders. Because everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody can dribble around everybody, everybody can do a move. But where's the defensive guy that's going to lay out their striker? And then yep. when he gets up, look at him and say, what, What's your problem? 
Yeah. What you found? Our striker <laughs> that dribbles past four people and scores a goal. Now everybody kind of. Well, well let, me, let, let me extrapolate on that then. The, the whole concept of grit, of competition, of a little bit of piss and vinegar because the quality of the players, you know, you just admitted it and we would all agree. The skill sets, the technical ability of kids today has never been higher. Right. But we've talked about it time and time and time again with guests and our own opinions that competitive drive. The, the fire <clears throat> and brimstone of... of, of yes. Of, hey, he just knocked down... nothing. Their number nine knocked down our number seven. It's a cheap shot. Well, back in the day, five or six guys would go up to number nine or and somebody take would care take care of number nine. Now, number nine hits our number seven and lays them out and you're 12. It's like, wow, I'm not going near number nine. He yeah, there's 10 down. There's ten parents that are yelling, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but kids that aren't the doing anything. The dad of number nine is going to go after them, not that. <laughs> It, it's it's a different the world's different it's totally different the way kids are brought up the way they're taught at school the the education is different the 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 things you can do in school now that you couldn't do when we were young you know i'm i'm talking 30 40 years ago but it, yeah. it's the kids are better and there's more of a light at the end of the tunnel now because now kids you know you ask like you mentioned it before you ask a 6th or 7th grader what do you want to do first day of school everybody's got a chalkboard you know mart uh January 1st or whatever, I want to be a school teacher. I want to be an artist. Well, they want to be a professional volleyball player or a professional basketball player or a professional soccer player, and that's what their goal is. And they they, they almost train too much. They they overtrain, and, and repetitive use is, is causes a lot of injuries, especially in girls is the problem with yeah. a lot of knee yeah. injuries because of same repetition. You know, instead of when I was younger, I went to a Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, there was four seasons and you played every sport mm -hmm. for your school. Now there's still four seasons, but most kids say, Hey, what do you, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a volleyball player. Well, let me, let me ask you this. If, if we have a hundred percent pie, what, what would be your guesstimate as to <clears throat> the balance of technical training to competing? What, where would you like to see that fall? Well, the game is the best teacher. So you, you got to never practice, never stop doing technique. You never need to stop doing technique but then you got to add the game and if you don't play the game if you never scrim you know if you ask any kid from ages four they don't even know what the word means but from four to 25 we got an hour to practice what do you want to do say let's scrimmage put yeah. the, get the bibs out nobody says hey you, you got those cone let's things do those out. let's <laughs> let's do that jimmy let's threw up ladders. last week that's fun that's a lot of fun <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, you know, and I don't know how, how close we're getting, but JB usually gets us down this road. Living in this um, city for 60-plus years, growing up, your resume, um, this team that we got um, yeah. first year, um, Western Conference champs. Last night we see who we play as the number one seed in the new playoff format against the number eight seed in a three-game series. Um, what are your thoughts about St. Louis City Soccer Club? <laughs> I mean, because you are one of those people. We talk about it often on the show. The foundation. The re Well said. The reason this stadium, this team, are you, your peers, people before you, the outros – um, other than the money and the, the ownership group that we can, yada, yada, yada. What does it mean to you? 
it, it means a lot and it's so much fun. St. Louis City is the best thing that's ever happened to St. Louis soccer by far. I mean, the organization, you guys, kudos to you guys too for having all three of you having sons on, on the team, which is the top team in the, within 500 miles of here to have your sons play for them is, is an honor. But the city has taken over the city soccer team has taken over the city and it's not all crazy old soccer guys that go to the games i've been my son has five season tickets and i go all the time and they are first class and the team is a working class team they when they press they play like the old school guys play that guy just kicked me. Three guys are going after number four who just kicked one of our <laughs> yes, players. They, I, I Nobody thought Tim Parker yeah. in, your, in your story earlier. Tim Parker is not shy. He is, <laughs> no. He's not the shyest guy in the league. In fact, he's the opposite yeah. of the whole league. But he's a great example. He he don't take no prisoners. They, they, they looked at the league. They picked out the players. And no matter who's injured, who's not injured, they, they put it together. And they're so much fun to watch. But they do a lot in the community. They're the full package they do everything they they got the academy teams they got the the facility is one of the best facilities in the entire world oh brother anybody God comes here from real madrid man united arsenal chelsea if you count them as a team um, <laughs> they, okay well thanks for joining <laughs> us uh, we'll, be, we'll be back next time i'm clipping that one i'm clipping that one uh it's the number one facility mr it's, whelan has he came has he seen it tony hasn't seen it he, i'm trying to get him over here next year but uh he hasn't seen it he's been here four or five times tony's favorite thing about st louis is ted drew's <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, well, makes let, sense. let me let me add a part B question to the whole city conversation in regards to uh, the theoretical uh, rival, the soccer capital, Kansas suburban team. Um, how how funny is it to you though? I mean, you, you're you're a St. Louis guy. You're a South City guy that grew up with Ted Drews in your blood. Right, mm -hmm. uh, exactly. and 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 hops and barley right. wafing through your <laughs> when you're, bathroom. When you're age yeah, well, eighteen. Yeah, well, I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. you're what were you like? George six, Best bought him lunch. Well, no, but what I'm saying is, like, times. you grew up six blocks from the brewery. I mean, you're a St. Louis guy, and you rode the wave at this incredible time frame through the NAS NASL years with these with these icons of the game and now you you coach Bush and you're here you love city you just gave an incredible actually you're the first person that said specifically it's the best thing that's happened to St. Louis soccer right that is true um how funny is it to you when you hear the 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 nuance and the debate and the nonsense from well it's it's what I tell my grandkids all the time they'll say man that guy over there why is he I said you got to realize 50% of the people you run into aren't normal people so you just got to <laughs> let it go <laughs> so when somebody says that it's a rivalry to Kansas City I'm like you know that they can say what they want and Kansas City Chiefs are supposed to be our team now but you know you can say what you want but I I don't see any rivalry for the city soccer team other than any team they play nobody wants to come here and play them especially in the summer yeah. nobody wants to come here uh -uh. which is great that's a great reputation and they don't kick the crap out of people they just run you to death so time before, and time again fat chicks and bad barbecue before we <laughs> before we move on too much i do we we, we messed up one other time and we didn't talk about the national team stuff you've got three caps and a goal Against Mexico. Yeah. You got your number. Your number three... 11. 
311. And that number is significant because it started at one. And every player who's ever had a cap for the U.S. national team has a number. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing And there are 76 from St. Louis that have a number in the system right now. Can you you walk us through what it was like to get that call to play for the U.S. national team? And and what did that mean to you? And kind of how did you walk through that? Yeah, it was... uh I guess I was in my second year, and we had tryouts up in New York, and I was uh, a striker, and they only they had like four forwards, four strikers up there. And one of them was Kyle Rowe Jr. back in the day, who was who was an incredible athlete, wow. won all the superstar competitions. So we went up to New York and tried out, and Deborah Kramer was the coach, the, the little German guy who was an incredible coach. And we tried out, and I ended up making the top 20, so we, we first game we played, we played against Poland. So we go over to Poland like on a Sunday and we played Wednesday and it was like 22 degrees and it was snowing and, and I had gloves on and I was starting. I, I ended up starting and I, I had gloves on and, and the referee comes over and he goes, hey, in, in some language, told me to take my gloves off. And I I was arguing with him. Like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm cold. fucking cold. I'm cold. <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking my gloves off. And they, linesman come over, coach come, Kramer comes over and he goes, hey, you got to take your gloves off. I'm like, well, why? I'm, I'm freezing. So I took my gloves off and I needed them because we lost seven nothing. I mean, I touched the ball like eight times because they centered it off. That was the only time I touched. And a week later, we go to, we played their Olympic team and lost three nothing. And then we go to Italy. And Canaglia was on Italy, Giorgio, and we're walking around Italy, going to Rome and going to all these places. And again, wow. when you're doing it, you're not really, you know, you're not sightseeing, taking pictures. You're just kind of, we train, yeah. got to eat, got to take a nap, got to play. <clears throat> so we, we go to the game and people, we're walking around Italy and people are holding up three fingers going, Giorgio, Giorgio. We're like, who's, who's, who's Giorgio? Who the hell is Giorgio? We didn't even know. We're, you know we're, so we lost 10 nothing, and then... <laughs> And if we would have won or tied, we I might still be over there because we lost ten nothing and we couldn't leave the stadium because they were throwing rocks and stuff at the, at our bus and everything else. It was, it was, <laughs> they they hated Americans. This is nineteen seventy five. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was crazy. And Mexico was different. We played in the altitude and forty thousand people screaming and we were winning one nothing at halftime and the uh, who scored that goal? I did. Thanks, okay. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> At halftime, I think they, I remember. they had to delay the thing because our, our roof, our locker room was getting hammered by rocks and bottles. They had we second half didn't start for like forty five minutes late, so we ended up losing three to one, which is probably a good thing there too. So I played in four games and we lost like a total of fourteen to one in those games. I think Altros had a similar uh, goals against. Uh, in his his career, well, I mean that was a unique time. Oh, of course it was. <laughs> Al played for in the U.S. when they played against Poland and Chicago, and the crowd was for the Polish team. Oh yeah, <laughs> all the Andersonville poles, right? Probably like one hundred fifty thousand oh, of yeah. them. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, real quick, last question. Then along the lines of that, uh, went a couple weeks ago, whenever the national team was here, how special was it to be to be with your peers? That was that was one of the coolest things in my whole soccer career was being down there with with you know Don Draghi, Bursig, Carl Gentile, Gary Rensing, and Pat McBride. Al wasn't there for some reason, uh, and everybody. It's funny. Everybody there knew everybody like very well or years apart. Trich, Steve Trichy was there, Perry Vanderbeck, you know, Tampa Bay. 
and the national team honored us by giving us a jersey and a medal. It was, it was, it was one of the. And again, my grandsons got to go, so they got to see me in that situation. So it kind of. They see these pictures like, oh, my God, you had hair like a girl. I said, yeah, it was the 70s. Said, <laughs> right. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I mean, <laughs> hey, no Photoshop there. That's that's real locks right there. Uh, Denny, thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, this has been a this has been a blast. I mean, this is this is why we do this show. It's fun. Like it's uh, fun. you guys do a great job. Kudos to you guys and to your sons. Good luck. That's awesome. Well, that and also awesome. the thousands of people that you've coached on how to coach are still doing that today, and it's it's growing and growing and growing. Good. And so, Good. thank you for not only joining us, knuckleheads, but for <laughs> what you've done over the last fifty you years. You two knuckleheads. City. Yeah, I, 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 for me. Uh, this is going to be one of those ones when I get in the car and I drive home. I may not have the radio on for a minute, um, and I'll just be smiling because uh, you may not know this, but you and your family and your son, who was a little younger than me, you guys have a uh, a fond place in my heart, and, and you're a big reason why I love this game. Well, thank, thank you, and I, I appreciate it being on the show. I loved it. Thank you. All right. Thank you, and we will uh, we'll see you next uh uh, when, let me check my calendar. Wednesday, Denny's South City. <laughs> <laughs> Moon's over my hammy on right, me, man. Right, right. <laughs> hey, until next time, Soccer Dad Pod, we're on our way out. Uh, like, follow, share. It's the least you can do. We'll catch you next, next time. Thanks, Patch. Beers were cold. See ya. Yeah.